We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers. For all of you fine folks on the other end of the speaker, I appreciate you guys tuning in. This episode is, as always, brought to you by Prize Picks. We'll get into that later. Not doing too well on the Prize Picks front. Probably user error more than anything else. But We'll get into it. I got confidence in this week's picks. I think I've said that every week, but I, uh, technically last week's picks were uh, KPs, so I'm not counting that uh, as 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 a, a block of shame against me. We'll talk about it. How's everybody doing? We are 19 days into spooky season, into spooky month. We are, what is it, 11 or 12 days away from... I mean, I guess it would be 11 by the time you're listening to this from Halloween, man. I love it. I love this time of year. It makes coaching football so much more enjoyable. I I don't know if you can hear the enthusiasm leaving my voice. I like when I said that, I kind of like leaned back in my chair and like looked up at the ceiling because I mean, you, you know, you're talking to a boy from Fresno, California. When we start out football season, which has now become like a all summer, all fall thing, our practices are on average probably 105 degrees, if not more than that, consistently more than that. I guess that's how averages work, but I digress. And it is, it's brutal. I mean, you get used to it. You really do kind of become like some weird desert like creature out there with hardened skin and just you're just like used to it like you know it it just becomes the way it is and it it doesn't stop sucking but you just learn to kind of wallow in the suckage you know you just you are you there you're you exist in the suck you know as the old the old marines would say you embrace the suck and but once you turn that corner man you get into october 
and the high is like 82, 78, 72, and you're just standing out there coaching those kids, and you're just like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> it's there's still idiots in the best way, and I mean that you know in an endearing way. And they're still, you know, saying the same stupid stuff they always say, making you laugh, making you pissed off in the very next sentence, you know, whatever. But once that temperature comes down, man, things get so much more enjoyable. You know, I got I, we got Halloween decorations coming up in the house. I bought a couple things because Spirit Halloween did this like promotion with the Haunted Mansion, Disney's Haunted Mansion. And I bought anybody who's been on the Haunted Mansion ride should know that after you get off the elevator, it is an elevator, by the way, with these stretching pictures and, you know, the, the skeleton hanging that falls, you walk through that dark hallway and there's those two statues. It's a, like a man and a woman, creepy man and a woman that just stare at you as you walk by. And it's an optical illusion. They're actually built into the wall. So you have like a flat surface and then their faces are carved back into the wall. That way, as you walk by them, it changes the perspective and makes it look like they're looking at you. Well, I bought both of those. Uh, you know, I bought a uh, Halloween, the movie, 1978 pumpkin. If you watch the movie, the, the very first thing you see is that that pumpkin. I, I bought one of those. I've got one of those in the house. We've got the Haunted Mansion in the house. We've got candy sitting out, which is a dangerous thing for me. You know, eventually my Michael Myers bust, which is like from like his chest up. Uh, he's got the coveralls. He's got the pop collar. That's going to go in the window. I'm going to start leaving the window open. I'll give it some creepy lighting. Maybe I'll put that pumpkin behind him. You know, maybe I'll play the music through the window. Well, you know, we just, we, we go crazy. Now, the one thing I don't do is I don't dress up. I don't scare kids. One, in our neighborhood, they probably don't come quite often enough to do that. But, you know, I, I just don't want to, like, accidentally scare some little kid and make him hate Halloween forever. I mean, buckle up, kid. It's Halloween. You know? like. I'm over here carrying like you, this is, this is what it is. You have to be ready to go strap your helmets on. Like you need to be ready to be scared. But man, I mean, some of the best times I ever had in my life were back at my grandma's neighborhood. Everybody dressed up for Halloween, walking around people everywhere, everybody in costumes. I feel like the world's kind of losing that. Like, would you guys agree? Do you feel like that Halloween is kind of, maybe you come from a neighborhood or maybe you're at a neighborhood where it still goes hard. I need to find a neighborhood where it still goes hard for my kids so they can see that. I just thought it was so much fun to walk around the neighborhood and there's kids everywhere, all in costume. There's adults walking with them. Some of the adults are in costumes. And then you never know if the person sitting on the porch is, is fake or alive and everything's scary. And some people go all out and you have to walk in through this like mezzanine and it's almost like a little tiny haunted house. And then, you know, how bad do you really want that candy? And, you know, you take off running and are you scared? Or are you having fun? I don't know, but. It's, I just absolutely love it all. And I feel like my neighborhood's kind of weak in that department. And I really need to, I need to track down a Halloween neighborhood. No, I'm not talking about no trunk or treat bullshit. Like that's, that ain't, that does not apply. We need a neighborhood where we are walking house to house and there are kids everywhere. There's little ET kids in their little sheets, just rummaging along. You know, it's, it's gotta go hard. It's gotta go hard. Halloween is just such a great time of year. I absolutely love it, you know, and so uh, I need need to track down a neighborhood in the Central Valley that goes hard because that's, to me, just some of my most fond childhood memories was trick-or-treating. 
trying to think if there's any other Halloween stuff I need to show. I mean, I even go crazy in my classroom. Like this month, we watch a Halloween movie every every Wednesday, and we finish it, or every Wednesday, Thursday, and then we finish it on Fridays. And you know, this week we're watching Goosebumps. If you have not seen Goosebumps the movie, you need to. With Jack Black, it's really, really good. Really good. Just a wholesome, you know, just pleasant B plus movie. You know, like it's exactly what it needs to be. And if you really want to go hard, you know, the real scary movies, make sure you've seen the original Halloween. Shout out to my boy, Mike. Okay. Um, the Conjuring. Oof. That was that was one of the scariest movies I've seen in some time. And that has completely unraveled into, you know, The Conjuring and then The Nun and then Annabelle. And I haven't really, I know uh, Insidious was good. What are some other scary movies out there that I need to see? I need to keep up with them. But anyways, oh, you know what? One, it's not a scary movie, but you have to see Paranorman. Much more of a kid's movie. <laughs> but you got to see Paranorman. I can't tell you how surprised I was by that movie. It's kind of made in the same animation style as Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, it starts out as kind of just this goofy kid that that has the ability to talk to and see dead people. And it, there's there's a lot of jokes, a lot of funniness, a lot of goofiness. And then all of a sudden, like, once you realize why this town, which is kind of like a Salem type town, why this town is haunted by this witch and how she got there in the first place and what the backstory of that witch is like the movie takes a complete 180 and becomes like kind of serious, kind of sad, kind of like a reality check type of deal. And, and this, this, I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil it because I really do think it is a fantastic movie. It's one of my absolute go-to like Halloween season movies. Anyways, we should probably talk about the 49ers. I apologize. You can obviously you just pick up on my excitement. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. 49ers injury update. I would, I would, I would wager that that is what most of you want to hear about. If you don't know already, um, all good news on the injury front, uh, obviously three key players were injured after that, uh, Brown slug fest. You had Christian McCaffrey, after some MRIs, he's no longer, it used to be listed as a rib slash oblique injury. Well, after his MRIs, it's no longer listed as a rib injury. You know, x-rays, MRIs probably revealed that there was no cracked ribs. There was no cartilage damage. So there's no longer a rib injury. It's just oblique, basically saying, you know, he's got some some muscle problems there. He's considered day-to-day. And just going off, reading the tea leaves, uh, divination from the Harry Potter scene, the grim, anyways, uh, I've, Christian McCaffrey seems like he'll play. You know, it seems uh, Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area uh, reported that it was more of a pain management thing for Christian McCaffrey. And since those x-rays and MRIs have been negative in a, in a good sense. And whenever I say negative, I think about that scene from The Office when when um, he's getting tested for like cancer and he hangs up the phone and they're all gathering around him at the ice skating rink, Kevin. And he goes, negative. And everybody else is excited. And Michael Scott's like, oh, man, we're going to get through this. And he has no idea that negative in, in the medical world is actually a good thing. Anyways, Chris McCaffrey seems out of the three probably the most likely to play. Debo Samuel, not a whole lot of additional information there. Only the positive news that he was day-to-day. He probably falls somewhere in the middle. And then you have Trent Williams, who, again, ankle sprain, not high ankle sprain. Uh, still positive in the in the light that they said it's day to day, but I don't know. Just based on the injury, like you've got Christian McCaffrey with an oblique, Debo Samuel with a shoulder, Trent Williams is the only lower body in, bo- true low, lower body injury. It's an ankle. 
He's an offensive tackle. It seems like one of those that you would want to, excuse me, fully heal before you got back out onto the field. And the 49ers might feel like they can beat the Vikings without Trent Williams, which I don't know. We'll get into that. But of the three, he seems the least likely to play. But that's more just kind of intuition, I guess you could say. Uh, They could all three play. Um, none of the three could play, but it does seem like Trent Williams based on the injury and the fact that you really aren't going anywhere in the postseason without Trent Williams. I mean, that could be said for Christian McCaffrey too, maybe a little bit less so for Debo, but still included in that conversation. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. It just wouldn't surprise me if Trent Williams plays, especially considering the fact that the 49ers are playing against the Vikings that I think is the only team in the NFL with like the older turf. Older, shittier turf. I'm sure the 49ers are absolutely stoked to be playing on that. So keep an eye on that. Um, if if you if you see a 49ers player go down, and I'm gonna knock really loud on that one. Uh, I could so loud that I could even see little sound waves through the microphone. If anything happens to a 49ers player in terms of an, a non-contact injury, uh, I would not be surprised at all if. There is hell to pay come Tuesday morning when it comes to the 49ers, the media, how they're handling turf, replacing turf. That seems to already be gaining a little bit of steam. But if if that happens again, especially to the 49ers who have been on the the, the bad side of turf many, many times, uh, just just telling you, it's gonna it's gonna get wild. Um, Kyle Shanahan during his press conference today was doing a little bit of gamesmanship. Really would not say anything about any of them other than the fact that they were day to day, and that was it. Yeah, that was it, which in terms of an injury designation day to day is like the most positive you can be, you know, they're day to day. They might, they're not practicing today, but they might practice tomorrow. They might practice the day after that. Uh, Today, even though it's Thursday, it was technically the first day of the week for practice, which is normally Wednesday, but the 49ers play on Monday night. So everything gets pushed back a week. Uh, Today was their first day of practice. A lot of times players get this day off anyways. Trey Greenlaw still has the day off. Um, haven't really, didn't really get any clarification on him. I'm looking at Kyle, Chana- Kyle Shanahan's transcripts right now. Um, nobody really asked for anything more on Dre Greenlaw, so we'll see. Uh, he's not practicing, still with the same hamstring injury. He's somebody you hope gets back in the game. To me, one of the biggest reasons for the 49ers' defensive struggles against the Browns were the fact that uh, that Greenlaw, Greenlaw was just not out there. And Fred Warner can't handle it all. You know, with, with the, the narrative after the Browns game, I, I got I to gotta admit it wasn't as dramatic as I thought it was going to be. The, the Brock Purdy sky is falling was not really the key topic that I expected it to be. If anything, a lot of the media world out there kind of held up to like, look, it was the absolute best defense in the NFL. Now that we're seeing how they did against the 49ers, it's, it's getting talk as like a generational defense, one of the best defenses in years and years uh, in the Browns. So I, I felt like the realization that the Browns defense might just be that good is kind of like stalling the Brock Purdy, is it for real type talk? I mean, I've seen plenty of negativity in regards to Purdy. And, you know, and what he did and didn't do. And, and I get it. He did not have a good game. You know, he, he completed 12 of 27 passes. That's right around 40%, 125 yards, 
125 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a 55 rating. And even his one touchdown that he passed was just this little forward pass to, to Christian McCaffrey, who, who took it to the house. You know, it was 20-something yards, I think. So instead of focusing on all the things that didn't happen against the Browns, I kind of quickly went through and thought about it and took notes and, and said, what were the things that went right against the Browns? What were some of the things that were, were well done? And obviously what I just mentioned was Purdy's little shovel pass to Christian McCaffrey, made a couple guys miss, gave a couple guys a shimmy, start, stopped, worked his way into the end zone. It was well blocked. That was an excellent play, a vintage Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey play, and extended his touchdown streak to 15 games, I believe. So Christian McCaffrey has scored in 15 straight games. And you know what's interesting about that statistic and that continued streak, which you know now that you mention it, you're hoping Christian McCaffrey is able to play against the Browns. But in the end, that's not really an excuse to play somebody when they don't need to or they can't truly go. But anyways, my point is, is that I believe like tomorrow or technically today, if you're listening to this on Friday, is like the anniversary of the 49ers trading for Christian McCaffrey. Let me see. I'm going to Google 49ers trade Cade for the amount of spelling mistakes that the internet is consistently correcting for me is awesome. Like it is so much. Let me see. Uh, Let me see. No, I'm not looking for winners and losers. That says January, October 21st. Maybe that was the day after. I'm trying to look for, you know, like an article that was like on the day, 49ers, October 21st. I think they did make that trade on October, the night of October 20th. And then everybody wrote about it on October 21st. So, yeah, I think we are on the the one-year anniversary of the Christian McCaffrey trade, which... Since joining the 49ers, I mean, it cannot be understated how much he changed this organization, which is crazy because you're talking about a 49ers offense that already had George Kittle, that already had Debo Samuel, that already had Brandon Ayuk, that already had Kyle Juszczyk, that already had Elijah Mitchell, that already had you know all these players on it that made it a solid offense in and of itself. And then Christian McCaffrey runs along and completely changes everything about it. I mean... In his 10 regular season games with the 49ers, he had 746 yards, six touchdowns. Then he also also caught 52 catches for 464 yards. And then just this season, in the six games he's played, he has 553 yards on 110 attempts. He's averaging over five yards a carry. Uh, He also has, where's my receiving stats? 23 catches for 177 yards Uh, since. Okay, so here you go. His total statistics since joining the 49ers, which is kind of a good measure because he's played in a total of 17 regular season games with the 49ers. So you could almost look at Christian McCaffrey's one-year tenure to the day. He's also played in 17 games. So it's almost like a one-season window of what McCaffrey did with the 49ers. And he had 269 carries for essentially one yard shy of 1,300, 1,299, 269 carries for 1,300 yards. And that includes 13 touchdowns. He also had 75 catches for 641 yards and six touchdowns. So when you add all that together, Christian McCaffrey is just shy. I keep saying Christian McCaffrey when I could just say McCaffrey. Uh, is just shy of two, just under 2,000 yards. 
69 yards. Nice short of. I think it's actually 60 yards. I'm, I suck at math. I don't care. Yeah, 60 yards short of 2,000 yards with the 49ers and 19 touchdowns. Like, I would say that worked out okay for the Niners. Essentially, since trading for Christian McCaffrey, they have gotten 2,000 all-purpose yards and 19 touchdowns. Like, damn. That's crazy. I mean, that is you, – you just don't make trades like that. Like, how often is a player of that much impact traded to a playoff contending team? I mean, what's the last one? A.J. Brown, you know, A.J. Brown was traded. He's been massive for the Eagles. Christian McCaffrey. Trent Williams was traded, but I'm talking about, you know, a player that that is offensive production. It just doesn't happen that often. For the 49ers to, to, to bring in a player like that that was always somebody that Kyle Shanahan could take use. You could find NinersWire.com articles from yours truly, Rob Lauder, talking about, no, the 49ers shouldn't go Salmon Thomas. They should go Christian McCaffrey. And yes, I don't care if it's third overall. I didn't even care if it was second overall. They ended up making that trade back one spot. And I'm not, this is certainly not a, I told you so, like that's stupid. It's just that it always seems so obvious to me that Kyle Shanahan would just bask in a player like Christian McCaffrey, and he has. And it's been pretty amazing. So on the one-year anniversary of Christian McCaffrey, you are realizing that the 49ers got a 2,000-yard player with one under 20 touchdowns. I mean, if you want to count the one he threw, then it was 20 touchdowns. So pretty epic. The dude averages seven yards a target. Every time somebody hands or throws the ball in Christian McCaffrey's direction, they average seven yards. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy, guys. All right. So what else went right with the Browns? You've got that that deep throw from Brock Purdy. I believe it was in like the third drive of the game. I've got to pull this up here. You know, two guys barreling down in his face, and he kind of just leaned backs and chucks it downfield. And it hit Brandon Ayuk right in the hand. You know, whenever a receiver gets up from a play like that, and, you know, you see him just kind of upset. And I think Ayuk was upset because I think it was Denzel Ward kind of like grabbed his leg, his feet, dove for his feet right as he was catching the ball. But it was a bang-bang play. I don't think it was supposed to be a penalty. But he would say that that's what caused him to drop the ball. And then Brock Purdy, when they get back to the huddle, could say, hey, man, I'm sorry that I put the ball in your hands. I will I will try to do better next time. But in that moment, just an incredible pass from Brock Purdy. And then when you're looking at the offensive possessions, you know, I believe that ended the drive. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a punt. And that would have kept the drive going. The 49ers would have immediately been in scoring position, and they would have likely either netted a, another touchdown or a field goal from there. Um, so, I mean, that's something that you look at that and those are, those are game altering plays. Uh, another good thing that happened against the Brown is Randy, Randy Gregory was getting on, on board. Randy Gregory in his first game with 49ers got on board. He had a, he had a sack, one of only two sacks, the 49ers defensive front had, he had three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss. He looked right at home. Him and Nick Bosa were the only players with sacks against that game. Uh, Diamondor Lenore picking up some steam as that outside guy. He was among one of the highest graded pro football 
focus uh, players for that game. He had five tackles. He had one interception. He had one pass breakup. You know, obviously gave the 49ers, essentially handed them one of their touchdowns. You know, in the second half, he intercepted the Browns right towards the end of the third quarter. Excuse me, beginning of the fourth quarter. And um, the 49ers scored on the very next play, next play with a run from Jordan Mason. So huge play from there. Fred Warner being Fred Warner. I mean, he was also, I think he was the 49ers highest graded defender at seven tackles, one interception, one pass breakup, did his absolute best without his running mate in Greenlaw. Um, And then of course, the most obvious thing to come from the Browns game was that final drive, you know, in, in that final drive, the 49ers went uh, nine play in, in with a minute and 40 seconds left on the clock. The 49ers ran nine plays. They went 45 yards and uh, they set Jake Mooney up for a 41-yard field goal, and he missed it. So whatever you know, you wanted to see from Purdy, if that last drive was something you were waiting to see, how he would react to being behind with throws he would make when he knew that the 49ers had to have him, when they were behind on the scoreboard, if he didn't make these throws, they lose. If you were looking to see how Purdy would react in a situation like that, he did pretty damn well. He did pretty damn well. Now, ignore... Every other drive between that and the the touchdown to open the game, because again, you had missed field goal, punt, field goal, punt, end of half, interception, punt, 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 touchdown. You know what I mean? Like, and the, even the touchdown that they had was uh, on that when they only needed one play but on that Lenore interception. So, you know, and what what kills me about this Browns game is, and I think I talked about it on the pod after the Browns game was. If Moody makes that kick, and I know we don't live in the land of ifs, could have, should have, would have, but if he makes that kick, then think about what the what the narrative of that game is. You know, the 49ers are six and zero. You know, and all you're reading about is Brock Purdy shows that he can he could come from behind and he can lead a game winning drive with less than two minutes left, and and those that would be true, but nothing about that game changed. You know. Jake Moody's clutch. Yeah, he missed earlier, but that was from 54 yards. Like, no big deal. He made the one to win the game. And, and obviously, that means a lot. 49ers knowing that they can have a kicker that can make a field goal in a game-winning situation is imp- – I mean, how many times have Kyle Shanahan's 49ers done that? So, I'm not discounting the idea that Moody missing that field goal is, is a big deal. It, it is a big deal. But it, just imagine if he makes it. And again, it's a big old if, but just you're talking about Brock Purdy making the final drive, you know, from behind. Uh, Jake Moody's clutch makes it to win the game. 49ers found a way against an all-time defense. You know, if if Jake Moody makes that kick, the entire narrative of that game is flipped on its head. And sure, Brock Purdy played like shit most of the game, but he led the game-winning drive. Jake Moody hits the clutch field goal. The 49ers found a way to get it done against an all-time defense, and everybody's talking about something different. But to me, when I see that, that all was basically the difference of like three to three to five feet or however much Moody missed by. If his kick goes three to five feet to the left, they win the game. But everything about that game still happened. The 49ers offense still was abysmal for 95% of that game. They averaged like third and 12. Average, meaning some of the time they were more than that. You know, the defense gave up a crazy ass 4.7 yards a carry and 160 yards on the ground. 
you know, it was like it was still a bad game for the 49ers, whether they won it or not. And you're, you know, I think what I said last last pod was you're hoping that loss doesn't have any huge consequences. Like that loss to the Browns is what loses them the number one seed. You're hoping that's not the case because if it is, then you know, this all mattered a lot. But if if it doesn't end up being that, then it really is one of those games that I think at overtime as the season goes on, especially when the Browns get Sean Watson back. That this loss might be looked at under a slightly different light based on the fact that the Browns defense is just ridiculously good. It was shitty weather. Rob Purdy's got a smaller hands, not Burger King small hands, but just smaller hands, and was struggling to control the ball in the weather. If you're looking for like some long-term implication, that's what you need to be looking at. Is Brock Purdy going to be able to play well in the weather? Because this will not be the last shitty weather game. The 49ers have to play with Brock Purdy and He's got to be able to make sure he's definitely got to be able to complete more than 50% of his throws. So, and you look at that interception he threw to Ayuk, you know, he threw past Ayuk. You could tell from the moment the ball left his hands that that was not going where he wanted it to go. It wasn't like a bad decision. The guy in front, the guy he was throwing it to was open. He, it was just never on target, you know, and was that just a straight up bad throw and he never lost his grip on the ball or is the fact that his hands are on the smaller size? I mean, his entire body is on the smaller size. Uh, you know, is that the reason he missed it? So anyways, if, if that kick goes in, the whole conversation is different. Um, but if, if even in the current reality, if they don't end up losing out on a seed because of that one loss, then it won't matter. No one's going to point back to the Browns game as the moment the 49ers are exposed, especially because no other NFL defense is capable of replicating what the Browns do. They just don't have the talent on defense. So, um, we'll see, you know, is the, is the blueprint out there for how to beat the 49ers now? I don't I don't think so. Again, I don't, I don't necessarily think other teams out there are going to be able to replicate what the Browns did just based on the fact that they're a uh, immensely talented uh, defense. Uh, a, a key question here is you've got Christian McCaffrey, you've got Debo Samuel, you've got Trent Williams. Those are the key injuries. You've got Dre Greenlaw. You know, um, can they win without those players? Like, can they beat the Vikings? Now, the Vikings are two and four. We'll get into that. They're not like the two and four everybody kind of likes to to say they are. But can the 49ers get past the Vikings without these players? You know, and who's impacted? You've got for Trent Williams, you're probably looking at another outing for Jalen Moore uh, at left tackle, backing up Williams. If Debo's out, you're looking at more action going Ayuk's way. Uh, you're looking at Ray Ray McLeod getting some more of those, uh, you know, end arounds and stuff like that. If Christian McCaffrey's out, Jordan Mason's getting more touches. Elijah Mitchell's getting more touches. But if I had to choose between Jordan Mason Mason and Elijah Mitchell getting touches, I'm taking I'm taking Jordan Mason. Now I understand that Elijah Mitchell has shown in the past that he can be an essentially a thousand yard rusher. But as for this season and what we've seen and Mitchell's injury struggles and even when he's been on the field, he hasn't really been able to do anything effective. Jordan Mason right now has 21 carries for 117 yards. That's 5.6 yards a carry. He also has a couple of NFL touchdowns to his name. Elijah Mitchell this season has 18 carries. That's only three less than what Jordan Mason has got, but he's only been able to churn out 49 yards. That's 2.7 yards a carry, and he has no touchdowns. So in every run, there's different context based on who you're going up against and the defense that's in front of you and who else is on the field, yada, yada, yada. I don't want to say that no more because that stupid commercial. But if I had to 
if if somebody's got to get a huge uptick in touches, I'm I'm giving it to Jordan Mason because he has proved to be a legit number two running back in the NFL. So you know if if Debo Samuel can't go, I feel like that's a loss that they can they can absorb. Christian McCaffrey Christian McCaffrey starts to hurt more. Christian McCaffrey, however, I said that. Then you've got. Oren Burks is probably coming back in again if if Dre Greenlaw can't go. Uh, Christian McCaffrey being out, that that's the one that seems like... I think Trent Williams is, is unequivocally the one that hurts the most, but Christian McCaffrey and his impact this offense and the way he plays the game, that's, that's tough to replicate. Sure, you can bring Jordan Mason in to get touches, but he doesn't have the versatility that Christian McCaffrey has. He doesn't put defenses on notice like, notice like McCaffrey does, so... The 49ers are in a tough spot with their injuries and they have the personnel to, you know, weather that storm. But I don't think the Vikings are quite the pushover that everybody kind of likes to pretend they are just based on their record. Okay. So before we get into more on the Vikings, let's hit the price fix. And like I said, your boy is, is taking it in the chin when it comes to price fix. I have myself have put in seven entries. I'm not counting KPs, and I have only won two of them. So we're staying aggressive this week, but we're we're backing it off a little bit. We're, we're, what I'm doing is I'm going with four players, but I'm going with the flex play, going back to the flex play. So of those four, in order to technically win, I only need three. Okay, so that's where we're at right now. My first player, I'm going with Brandon Ayuk for, with more than 65 receiving yards. Um, just given the environment, I, I, I think that the 49ers are going to feel very comfortable throwing the football around. Uh, the Vikings don't have a tremendous pass defense. If Debo Samuel doesn't play, even if he does play, I think he's going to be playing that decoy role a little bit, kind of like he was a couple weeks ago. I think Brandon, I should go over 65 receiving yards relatively comfortably. Um, I also have Brock Purdy to throw for more than 236 yards. I just think this offense is going to be fired up based on the way they played against the Browns. They're playing against a significantly less formidable defense. Maybe not so much when it comes to the front seven or the pressure that's going to be applied, but I think Brock Purdy is going for more than 236 pass yards. And then I've also got Kirk Cousins, who I also think is going to throw for more than 232 passing yards. And that's not necessarily an indictment of the 49ers defense, but you know, I just think that that, uh, that if they're going to get behind, they're going to have to be throwing it around right now. That's all the Vikings want to do in the first place is throw it around. Uh, I mean, if you look at Cousins statistics, he threw for 344 yards in week one, 364 yards in week two, 367 yards in week three, only 139 against Carolina, 284 against Kansas city and 181 against Chicago. So out of those six games, he went way over 232 four times. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went over 232 against the 49ers. Uh, and then last but not least, I've got Vikings running back Alexander Madison going less than 68 rush plus receiving yards. Um, I almost took the rushing yards. They were at 40-something. I figure going rush plus receiving just gives me a little bit of a padding there if he if he goes over on rushing and less on receiving and it could end up biting me in the butt but whatever man we're rolling the dice so prize fix prize fix prize fix y'all already know what it's about it's daily fantasy 
It's easy. It's exciting. All you're doing is you're jumping on there. You're picking two to six players and you're choosing a statistic that is either going to be more or less. Like I just went over with those four players. You pick more or less on two to six players and you watch the winnings roll in. Uh, what I like best about prize picks is it's just really simple to play. I make my picks and I could submit my entries, entry in less than a minute. You don't need to check you know, all these different statistics and odds necessarily. You just need to kind of look at the matchup, look at the players, look what they've been doing, look, look what the other team has allowed, and then just roll from there. So if you want to jump on board, which you should because it would be, be very easy to do better than me, then you can hit me up on Twitter and and show me how much better you're doing than me, and I will, will gladly broadcast it onto the interwebs. But if you go to prizepicks.com slash gold, prizepicks.com slash gold, and then you use the promo code gold, and they're going to mass match your first deposit of up to 100 bucks. So if you put in 100 bucks, you now have 200 bucks. So again, that's prizepicks.com slash gold. Use the code gold. And they're going to match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Okay, get on the prize pick bandwagon. Make me look bad, please. I'm begging you because at least make me work. Make me look worse than I'm making myself look. You know, like come on. All right. First things first. When it, especially when it comes to prize picks, and more or less, let's think about it right now. We're going to create our own prize picks category. More or less. How many times will Kirk Cousins and Kyle Shanahan be mentioned in the same sentence? I'm going to set the more or less at 2.5. So you either think it's going to be mentioned two times or less, or you're going to be think it's going to be mentioned three times or more. So when I post this podcast tomorrow morning on my Twitter feed, and you hear this, I want you to find that post, which should be at the top. I don't tweet that much. And I want you to reply with whether you are taking more or less than 2.5 times that Kyle Shanahan and Kirk Cousin are mentioned in the same sentence. We'll just say like the same vein. You know, like they're talking about Kirk Cousins and then they immediately mention Kyle Shanahan and his love for Kirk Cousins. Or talking about, you know, Kyle Shanahan and they immediately mention Kirk Cousins and the fact that he could be the 49ers quarterback if Brock Purdy doesn't do well. Okay, you get the point. You you understand it. We'll just say paragraph. 2.5 times in the same paragraph together. Okay, so find my, this is your homework, kids. I don't give homework. I'm an art teacher. <laughs> um, but I want you to find my Twitter post where I'm talking about new striking gold, and I want you to reply to it with more or less than 2.5 Kyle Shanahan, Kirk Cousins mentions. Y'all with me? All right, so the first thing I got on on here on my Vikings 49ers notes is lame-ass turf. That's exactly what I wrote down, lame-ass turf. So, again, if you are a God-fearing person, then say a little bit of prayer, a little bit of a prayer for the 49ers and the fact that they are about to step on some shitty turf that shouldn't exist. NFL games should be played on grass. You have so much money to grow grass in, in any part of the world if the Green Bay Packers can grow some damn grass, so can you. Anybody else out there? I have. There's no excuses. Play the game of football on some damn grass. Period. End of story. Anyways, 49ers are heading to the Vikings and their super sweet new shiny stadium to play on shitty ass turf. So keep an eye out for that. 
Now, the first thing that you see mentioned about the Vikings, and it kind of is mentioned in a way where you're like, yeah, the Vikings, you know. I mean, the Vikings are two and four. Okay. They are a long way out from a losing record. But when you look at their two and four record and the games they played, now I'm not going to give you a statistical breakdown of every game that they played, but if you look at their schedule in, in week one, they lost to the Bucks. That's kind of an embarrassing loss, but it is what it is. The score was 17 to 20. That was a home game. And then they had an away game against the Eagles, the defending not Super Bowl champions, NFC championship champions. And they lost in a road game against the Eagles, 28 to 34. One score game. A touchdown there likely gets you the win. Then in week three, a home game against the Chargers, they lost. 24 to 28. Just getting in the end zone wins you that game. And then week four at the Panthers, they won 21 to 13, which is still technically a one score game. And then week five, wait, I feel like I didn't give them a win in there. No bears. We haven't gotten there yet. Shut up, Robert. Then in week five, they played the chiefs and they lost 20 to 27. Again, a one-score game. I think you're seeing a trend here. And they beat the Bears on Sunday in Chicago, 19-13. to Another one-score game. So every single game the Vikings have played in has been a one-score game. Their wins and their losses. So that tells me that even in their losing efforts, which is still a loss, they're keeping it a game and they're making it a game. So if the 49ers found a way to break this trend, you know, that, that is something. But the Vikings have made it a game every single week. Even against the defending NFC champions. So it's, I don't, I feel like a lot of people are looking at the Vikings as if, as if this is some easy road win. Now they do have the benefit of the fact that Justin Jefferson, their absolute star wide receiver. And I hate talking about Justin Jefferson because you can go back and find a striking gold episode with me and Crocker talking about how Justin Jefferson was consistently ranked as like the fourth or fifth best receiver of that draft. And me and Crocker, I remember whether it was on the pod, I, I'm pretty sure it was during the pod, but before the pod, I, I was telling him like, man, I, I really like Justin Jefferson. I don't understand why he's ranked so lowly. And I wasn't saying he was, he was, he was the best, but I really liked what he brought to the table. Sure enough, it just blows up. But again, his his tenure would look a lot different if he had been drafted by a team like the 49ers that don't heavily lean on the pass. Because I've said this before, I think Brandon Ayuk would be putting up similar number, numbers to Justin Jefferson, maybe not quite that, if he were on the Vikings. And again, I'm not saying he's he's exactly the same caliber receiver as Justin Jefferson is, but I think he would be he would be getting pretty close, to be honest. So you're going up against the Vikings, who are two and four. Looks bad, but every single game they've been in, every single game they played, they've been in it. Um, the other thing that's that's going to be coming, and this is kind of an interesting matchup when it comes to the 49ers and how they didn't hold up well against the Browns, um, is that the Vikings defense loves to pressure a lot, 65 percent of the time, which is a lot. And I think when they played the Chargers, they blitzed Justin Herbert like over 80% of the time. Danielle Hunter is the NFL's leader in sacks with eight sacks. 
So they are going to be coming at Brock Purdy in a similar vein that the Giants did. And the fact that they're going to blitz like crazy, they're going to try to make him uncomfortable and they're going to try and force him to make throws or hurry throws that he shouldn't make or he shouldn't miss. And then you're looking at the, the, the real possibility that Trent Williams may not be playing in this game. And you're going to have Dan- Danielle Hunter rushing against Colton McKivitz or Jalen Moore. And you're like, damn. And Christian McCaffrey might not be out there to, to save the day on a Purdy dump off. So it, it is really a weird matchup for the 49ers going up against the team at home that has been in every single game they've won or lost and has the ability to get after the quarterback. Now, when it comes to like overall sack numbers, I mean, I was looking at that. I was looking at stats earlier. Let me see. Defense receiving. That's where I would find it. I should have gotten into this. So for some reason, NFL.com, they have their, they have their stats like team roundup, you know, of all the, of all the stats and how every team compares to each other and where they rank. But when you go to, does this have sacks? No, this is just interceptions. When you click receiving on defense, nothing pops up. And that's where you would find the sack numbers. I mean, I can look passing. No, this passing has sacks. Okay, so in terms of sacks, this is one I should have written down, but I hadn't. The Vikings are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth in the NFL. In comparison's sake, the 49ers are down there quite a bit. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18th in sacks. So the Vikings have the ability to create some pressure, and they have the ability to get after the quarterback which is just a kind of a dangerous combination for where the 49ers currently are, both in injuries and the fact that their offensive line just is okay. The Browns really created consistent pressure, both in the ground and the run game. They only had two sacks, but they added about seven quarterback hits, five tackles for loss. You know, they really have had the ability to get after the quarterback. And I think the Vikings are going to be able to do something similar. When you look at the 49, or excuse me, the Vikings defensive stat sheet against the Bears, their most recent opponent, um, they had five sacks. Danielle Hunter had two of them. Danielle Hunter, I think it's Danielle Hunter. I don't think it's Danielle Hunter. It's spelled like Danielle, but I, it's Danielle. I'm making an executive decision. He had two sacks, uh, and then the team as a whole had seven quarterback hits and six uh, tackles for loss. So, this defensive front is going to be able to get after the 49ers in a very similar way that the Browns did. Now, I'm not going to say that the Vikings defense is going to have the same type of success against the 49ers as the Browns did, but it, they certainly, they certainly, certainly, they certainly pose a threat to the 49ers. And when you look at the stack comparison, since we're kind of talking about defense, I'll round up the defense first. Um, you know, you'll you'll know you'll see where the weaknesses lie when it comes to the Vikings. The Vikings are 31st in completion percentage through the air. For comparison's sake, the 49ers are 12th. They are 18th in yards per attempt. The 49ers are third. They are 19th in yards passing. The 49ers are 11th. They are 25th in passing touchdowns allowed. The 49ers are sixth. So you're you're starting to see where the Vikings defense struggles. They are 20th in passing interceptions. The 49ers are first. Yes, the 49ers defense is first in interceptions. I believe, if I remember that number correctly, they have 10. 
Let me uh, let me click this right here. Bam. Yes, the 49ers have 10 interceptions. And then there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams behind them that have eight interceptions. Um, the Vikings defense is 18th in rushing yards allowed. The 49ers are seventh. They are 12th in yards per carry. The 49ers are 16th. Not a great defense, the 49ers, in terms of yards per carry. Uh, the Vikings are 21st in rushing touchdowns allowed. The 49ers are 8th. And they are 26th in rushing first downs allowed. The 49ers are 13th. So while the Vikings defense does pressure the quarterback often, and they do sack the quarterback often, they're not very good on the ground against the run, and they're not very good in the air against the pass. So if Brock Purdy can weather that storm the way he did against the Giants, weather the blitzes, weather the different looks that Brian, Brian Flores is going to show him, weather this, the, the pressure, weather the blitzes, and, and kind of just dissect all that, then I think the 49ers offense is going to be able to roll pretty well. We saw against the Giants that once he kind of deciphered that, that blitz, those blitzes and, and how they were going about it, then he really started to pick that defense apart. And I think the same thing could happen against the Vikings. You come over here, and now we'll compare the offense. So the Vikings offense compared to the 49ers offense. The Vikings offense is 12th in completion percentage. The 49ers are 10th. The Vikings are 15th in yards per attempt. And these are all stats that are healthily, healthily inflated by the presence of Justin Jefferson, which they're not going to have. Okay. 15th in yards per attempt. The 49ers are second. The Vikings are second in passing yards. The 49ers are 15th. The Vikings are second in passing touchdowns. The 49ers are 10th. The Vikings are sixth in passer rating. The 49ers are second. 15th in sacks allowed. The 49ers are 10th. You know, the lower the number, the the better in terms of ranking. The Vikings are 26th in rush, 27th in rushing yards. The 49ers are third. They're 18th in yards per carry. The 49ers are eighth. 32nd in rushing touchdowns. That's last. 49ers are second, 30 places ahead. And the Vikings are 32nd in 20 plus yard gains on the ground. The 49ers are eighth. And the Vikings are, I didn't, uh, rushing first downs. I just put the stat. <laughs> Let me see. Rushing first downs. I forgot to put the Vikings on here. I apologize. Let me go. They're last. 32nd in rushing first downs as well. So the Vikings are not very good on the ground and they're decent through the air. But again, a lot of those statistics were built on the back of Justin Jefferson, whom they're not going to have. Now that doesn't mean that the Vikings are just going to have nobody to throw to. Okay. Because they've also got TJ Hawkinson who has 47 catches, excuse me, 36 catches on 47 targets for 300 yards and two touchdowns. They have also have Jordan Addison, who's kind of is going to become the guy um, in Justin Jefferson's absence. He's got 34, 22 catches for 277 yards and four touchdowns. He actually has more touchdowns than Justin Jefferson. Alexander Madison has got some receiving action. He's got 18 catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, KJ Osborne has got 17 catches for 214 yards and two touchdowns. So they've got some decent options, but obviously far and away ahead of the group is Justin Jefferson with 36 catches, 571 yards and three touchdowns, but he will not be playing in this game. So 
a lot of the more impressive attributes of the Vikings passing attack attack comes down to Justin Jefferson. You can expect Kirk Cousins to kind of spread the ball around between Hawkinson, Addison, uh, Osborne, and maybe a little bit of Madison sprinkled in there. Hopefully not too much because uh, prize picks. Overall, I do think the 49ers defense has a healthy advantage here. The Vikings don't do well what the 49ers defense doesn't do well defending, which is as of right now, like I said, in terms of defense, the 49ers are 16th in yards per carry. And if you want specific numbers, I'd have to wander back over here and go to click on the defense tab, go to rushing, and then go to yards per carry. And the 49ers right now are giving up four yards a carry, which is not great, Bob. Like, if you want to rush the ball three times for a first down, you can go right ahead against the 49ers. Now, that's not how it works. Not really how football works. But statistically, based on an average, an NFL team could run the ball the entire game against the 49ers and win. You know, which is not great. That's not necessarily the 49ers defense that we, uh, we're used to hearing about. But it is what it is, and it's not like they can't ride it. But, again, they're not going up against a great rushing offense. So if the 49ers can kind of make it to where the Vikings have to lean on their more inexperienced pass catchers that are not just in Jefferson, then that's when you can see guys like Nick Bosa going in there and Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave and maybe Randy Gregory. Maybe we'll get used to that. And Randy Gregory's timing is interesting because – we really haven't seen a whole lot of Drake Jackson since his week one three-sack game. I, I, I'm, I think his snap count is dropping. I think his PFF grade is dropping. I mean, I can see, bounce over there real quick and just see where it sits. But, I mean, a lot of people don't. don't sorry, I'm kind of like past the microphone right now uh, as I type. Let's see. 66 gray. That's not the worst. That kind of still keeps you with a greenish shade. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait, wait for now to not, you know, because PFF said so. Um, I'm going to wait to throw any, any shade at Drake Jackson, but you know, for Randy Gregory to come in and have that performance right away, that should give you some hope that he can be a viable part of this defensive rotation. And the 49ers can use the numbers because we've talked about it consistently. The 49ers defensive front has just been okay. You know, we thought that we would get a little bit more from the combination of Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, uh, Randy Gregory, uh, Drake Jackson, Cleveland Farrell, uh, whoever, you know, maybe Javon Kinlaw actually starts to make an impact. We thought we'd get a little bit more from that group, but we haven't. Um, uh, as far as, I think it's like Vivid Seats. I can't remember what the name of their, their crew is, but it's supposed to be like 40% or more 49ers fans, which is pretty interesting for a game all the way over in Minnesota. So. Uh, that stadium always seems like it kind of has a good home field advantage. It's real loud. That Vikings horn, uh, it's just, it just keeps going. And if that place can, if 49ers fans can travel well to a place like Minnesota, then the 49ers would really benefit from that, from that advantage, or at the very least lack of as significant of a home field advantage for the Vikings. But, well, I think that does it. I mean, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not that I really care about that game. Does anybody really care about the freaking Jaguars versus the versus the Saints? But it looks like they won. Where's where's the score? 31-24. Oh, it was actually a halfway decent game. 
try to pay attention to Derek Carr, you know, Fresno State, but he just seems like he's out there yelling at everybody, which is kind of funny. Anyways, I don't want to ramble on at the end of the pod. You know, I guys know I do that all the time. All right. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. What if I just did the whole podcast like that voice? Wouldn't that just be the absolute worst? Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't listen. Don't, don't lie to yourself. Look, I understand that we've built quite the community here, but if I talked like this, you would not listen. And I, that would be okay. I'd understand that. I'd be looking at my analytics going, oh, man, nobody likes my voice. Anyways, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. Follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Louder, L-O-W-D-E-R. Um, if you, I mean, you're already here listening. That's the ultimate form of support. I don't know what, like when you get on iTunes and you go to your podcasts and you search and you type in 49ers, um, I don't know what determines the order of the podcasts in which they appear, but I have noticed that striking gold has been sort of climbing up that list. You know, we're right behind, uh, the athletics podcast, and we're two slots behind our fellow Blue Wire pod, Candlestick Chronicles. Chris and Kyle, make sure you guys are listening to them. Three slots behind Haberman and Middlecoff. So, like, Striking Gold is, like, on the map, guys. And that ain't because of me. Like, y'all are the ones here listening and taking part in takeaway time. So, I, again, I don't know how that order is determined. But if it is a good thing, I appreciate it because that's cool. Um but again, if you want to go a little bit above and beyond, you can jump on the app, leave a five-star review. Tell us, tell us why you love the podcast. If you want to throw like a mailbag question in there, that's like always an open invitation. Uh, you know, the only disadvantage to like telling, saying people to leave things in the reviews, is like every now and then you have to read like the random bad review that pops up where it seems like the person really just has like a personal problem with you. Like there was one bad review left in there recently where the guy just seemed like, just genuinely upset that, that I'm here. Like, and it, this podcast is me. Like even mentioned like croc and like that. He didn't even like the podcast when Crocker was on here. It's like, man, did you just, are you, is it just personal or something? Like, you know, hit me up on Twitter, man. We'll talk about it. Don't take it out on striking gold. Anyways, it's, it's all good. But again, if you want to support the pod, leave us a positive review. Um, Put a question in there if you want, or just a general thought, whatever you want, and I'll and I'll bring it up on the pod. I promise. All right. Uh, I still have not figured out if you can even look at Spotify reviews. Like, is there even a text portion of it like there is on iTunes? If there is, and somebody knows the answer, let me know because I have never seen them. I could just see a star review. Um, anyways, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to Dragon Gold. Uh, thank you for making this pod what it is. What it is uh, again, prizefix.com slash gold. Um, but for another episode, for another for another week, I guess we'll be back on here after the game. Remember, Monday night, not Sunday. Hey, Monday night. All right, everybody. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, but for another episode, I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold, and we are signing out.